Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got William Schumer on the line. William, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for uh, letting me join you today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You do a ton of work in leadership. You've got a new book coming out, and I definitely want to dive in into that and, and some of the things that you're seeing, especially around COVID-19 and leadership. But before we get started, I want to share with the audience a little bit about you and the work you do. Yes, certainly. So I've been in HR for about uh, 23 years or so, working in both the, the U.S. And, and abroad as well. And as part of my work, I developed a passion for leadership development and so have developed and in, implemented leadership programs in, in several different organizations, both here and in Europe as well. Uh, from the Midwest originally, uh, I'm now out in Washington, so I've traded the, the snow of the Midwest for the rain of Washington. Uh, but uh, certainly very happy to be here and uh, happy to talk a little bit more about leadership today. That's great. I'm originally from the Midwest and then moved to Toronto and just traded snow for Canadian snow and uh, not much different as far as uh, climate is concerned and all that, although they spent uh, part of the time in San Diego as well, which if they get snow, then you know that's a problem. Unless it's in the mountains, then it makes sense. But uh, you know, down a gas lamp, you know, we don't want to see snow unless it's you know the fake kind. So, yeah, leadership and HR. I know this pandemic has been extremely challenging. Not that HR's role isn't challenging on a normal day, but you toss in the fact that you know so many people were basically sent home, but expected to continue to work. It has been a really challenging time for human resources, for the C-suite and everybody involved. So what are some of the things that you've seen you know, with, with the people you work with and how they've been able to navigate either around or, or through some of the, you know, the early and in current days of this pandemic? Yeah, it's certainly been a challenge. I was over in Europe when the pandemic started. And, you know, one of the first uh, challenges was indeed working through all of the different uh, government regulations and restrictions around movement and how businesses had to very quickly adapt in order to continue to, to function. And so a mass of people were, were sent home. And of course, the, the, the first, and I think primarily the, the, the biggest concern was how do we keep people connected and productive? So that was a real challenge for IT departments throughout the world in, in which individuals were used to coming in and being productive in the office and now very quickly had to make sure that they could work effectively remotely. So, so that was an initial challenge. And of course, uh, I think that, that for us in human resources, it was a real challenge in order to ensure that we kept people connected and feeling well supported. Because certainly individuals felt a, a strong sense of, of stress and uh, uh, needed to be resilient during this time. So our focus very quickly shifted to sort of a two-pronged approach. One was Yes, how, how could we help keep the business functioning and keep our people productive and efficient? But the other was how could we support our people effectively? So as, as leaders, we needed to take a little different approach. Uh, I, I would say that one of the things the pandemic did was uh, help us shift towards a more 
servant leadership and stewardship approach, which I don't think is a bad thing. So a little more compassion and understanding, the need to be flexible and understand that people were juggling both work and home uh, uh, obligations as well. Because now individuals were having to deal with kids who weren't in school uh, and perhaps weren't even let out of the house or, or, or the, the yard. And so having to make sure that, that we could allow our people to be productive as and when it could fit into their schedule as well and be quite understanding about our approach in managing their productivity, but also helping, helping them navigate emotionally through this pandemic as well. So I think that that, that has shifted. And that's not been a bad thing because I, I, I think it's more in keeping with the preferences of today's workforce, more autonomy, a little more freedom in terms of how they want to conduct their work and more flexibility. And so that's going to change the landscape in terms of the, the war for talent, I'll call it, in future when things begin to, to somewhat normalize as well. I don't think you're going to, going to see uh, an environment where people are going back to an all-day, everyday workplace environment in many cases, and where organizations are forcing that on their people, they're going to find that they may experience greater turnover because those organizations who are going to be more flexible and adaptable are going to win that war for remote talent. I wholeheartedly agree, and it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamics of how all of this plays out. And I know a lot of leaders have been struggling, and the ones that I've been talking with about this. And you know, what does this look like? You know, we're going to do hybrid, or we're going to do mostly remote work for some of our people. Uh, There's certain people that we we feel should be in the office most of the time. How does this work? And you know, one of the suggestions that you know, whenever I have an opportunity to share them, is Talk with your people and, and find out what works for them uh, because we can't use the excuse that remote work hasn't worked for most organizations because, well, it's been over a year. Yes, it has. Your business is still running. Things are still getting done. So that cat not only is out of the bag, it used its claws and it shredded the bag. So it's done. You're, anybody that is going to go back to the no, we're having everybody come in the five days a week, you know, the soul sucking, you know, nine to five type of situation. Oh, and we're going to have you work at night as well. And on weekends, you, you hit it right on the head. The war for talent is going to be there where I think the people that have been afraid to look for other opportunities are finally going to say enough is enough and they're tired of the burnout and they're going to go look for an organization that is a lot more flexible and not concerning about the Henry Ford, make sure you put in your eight hour shift kind of stuff and more to the, what are you doing? What's your job? Do you have everything you need to do to get the job done? Here's your tasks. Here's the deadline. And then management, get the heck out of the way and let your people do your work. Those organizations are going to be a magnet for talent and everybody else is going to have to look to those organizations to figure out, okay, what are you doing differently? It's like, well, you're, you're creating a more flexible environment for people because you know, that's unfortunately where we're at or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we need more flexibility in the workplace because one you know, of the dynamics of the, the working from home and homeschooling and all of that, but also too, and we know this, our generations are getting older. So, our parents are getting the, to the age where there's a lot of people that are now caregivers for their parents. Well, you got to kind of be around you know, for your parents sometimes, and that would require you being at home. So 
again, it's going to be really interesting to see how work flows with all of this uh, and, and to see how, you know, how people navigate through all these changes. It is. It, it certainly is. And I think the harder part of, of the pandemic, as challenging as it was to, to switch to remote working, is that switch to having people come back in the office. You have people that, that emotionally, they're, they're not ready and they may never be willing to fully return to the office. And there's a lot of dialogue in organizations around that. And you have people who certainly don't miss the commute and they don't miss the expense associated with the commute as well. And so you do, you do hear dialogue coming from employees about that, the fact that they have effectively received a number of, of unintended benefits, of course, from what, what has been a horrible situation, but they're not willing to go back to that traditional five-day-a-week-in-the-office sort of environment. And the benefits for organizations, too, is that some of them, of course, are, are looking at uh, subleasing their offices or getting rid of office space, which will lower fixed costs for them because they can allow people to work from home and perhaps hot desk and smaller office spaces during the week as well. So yes, certainly some some benefits uh, that 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 I think have come out of what has been a bad situation, but it's changed the landscape in terms of how leaders are leading. And as you've said, managed by objective, we found that people can do perfectly good work in their slippers in the morning or in the evening. And we're managing by results, not by by form. And that's, that's important. And it also gives some creativity and flexibility because I know that there are certain people that have worked in a nine to five type of environment, but they're ability to do greater work you know many of them do great work but even better work than what they're normally able to do happens after five o'clock maybe that 6 p.m to 10 p.m window for individuals is absolutely amazing and they haven't been able to work in that environment before with this pandemic in many situations they have, and they're like, this is amazing. You know, they wake up at, you know, 10 or 11 a.m. and they work later into the evening and their productivity is great. The quality of the work is better. All of these things are in place as long as it doesn't dramatically impact the workflow of what everybody else is working on. This is an opportunity to be creative as far as how work is done uh, within organizations in a way that strengthens and retains people because you know this, you know, retention is a huge challenge for organizations, big and small. And with this war on talent uh, situation that is present and will be even more so, you know, in the coming years, uh, those organizations that have not been historically flexible need to study up on what flexibility looks like because, they're not going to be able to attract the talent that they need. And you may see some big organizations really struggle with this, and it's going to be fully apparent to their clientele and to the public at large. It's like, wow, they've, they've had a big drop-off in, in what they're doing as an organization, and they'll be able to draw the, the straight line to you know, why that happened. Yes, I think so. There's, there, I'm sure there's pent up consumer and business demand that is just waiting to be unleashed when we have this sense of, of normalcy back. And so those organizations that can 
retain their workforce and unleash that creativity that they've found through this flexibility and adaptability are going to thrive and others are going to certainly going to struggle. And so I think that you are going to see uh, that, that issue come to the fore. I think the, the main concern about organizations is how to maintain culture in this sort of environment. And so a hybrid model for some will certainly make sense because you want to help maintain culture. And there is something potentially lost when you have someone fully remote all day, every day. And so how do you make sure people feel connected to the organization, feel a part uh, of the organization's culture and included in in the culture and in decision-making? And so that has led, of course, to different ways for us to connect. Uh, and, and I think few people would have uh, would have thought that they would be uh, spending the vast majority of their time on video and audio, and we've all become experts in, in remote technology very quickly, but it's working. How well it's working, of course, is, is varying based on the organization and how well they're guarding culture and how well they're communicating, but it certainly will be an issue going forward. And that leads me to the next question, uh, and you know this can go in a lot of different directions. But as leaders, you have to manage change because that's the only thing that's constant is change. And we know that this world that we are in looks a lot different than it did uh, at the end of 2019. So, what can leaders do to to manage the changes that are that have happened, obviously, over the last year and a bit to you know the changes that we know are going to play out over the next few months to a few years what are some things that you know strong leaders are able to do uh, to be able to manage the changes that need to be made yeah i think that's a, a great question i think change management as well is a very understated or underemphasized uh, uh task in organizations i think most organizations manage change uh, uh on a fairly mediocre basis frankly and i've I've been a part of some of those organizations. And so I think one of the things leaders need to realize is that change isn't just a process. It's an emotional journey for people. So oftentimes leaders will treat change like a 10-step neatly process mapped out process, forgetting that people are having to navigate through an emotional journey through change. And that happens at different paces and in different ways for people. So I think one of the things too is, is for leaders not just to have a good change plan in terms of process, but also make sure that they are acknowledging the fact that their people are going through different emotions and at different paces, and they're going to have to address that. They're going to have to be adaptable, make sure that they know their people well, and the part that each of them may play in change. For example, you may have some people in your team's who are advocates for, for a particular change and others who are going to struggle and how you're going to deal with those people who struggle and or resist uh, is important. And I think the other thing is acknowledging those sources of resistance. Sometimes it's fear of the unknown. It might actually be, be fear of loss, which is either imagined or real. You know, oftentimes in organizations, change doesn't benefit every individual. There will be individuals who do lose out, whether it's their, their title and status, perhaps their position of influence, their relative expertise, because they're having to relearn uh, new techniques and new processes. But we have to address that. I think the other thing is change communication. Oftentimes, organizations forget 
to map out a really strong, detailed communication plan, knowing who they're going to communicate to, how, and when, knowing that you have to communicate to the leaders initially so they can wrap their heads emotionally around change too. Because as leaders, we are having to manage that process of change, but we're going through it ourselves. And so making sure that you've got leaders who have their heads in the right places, so to speak, and that they are able to come to grips with change is important. I think lastly, the other is institutionalizing change. You have to make sure that change sticks and isn't just seen as a fad. And oftentimes, we'll implement a change and begin to see it uh, realized. And then we'll decide that, that that change has fully taken place. And it hasn't. Sometimes change will then revert back to the old way. You know, you'll see a regression. And so it's important to do things like put processes and procedures in place so individuals know the new way of doing things and they have a guide. Make sure that the old ways of doing things are no longer accessible. So those old policies and procedures and old systems are sunsetted. And the other is simply following up. Sometimes leaders will forget to audit and inspect what they expect. But the best way to ensure that change sticks is to make sure that there is training and or consequences for people who are not following through with change. So those are some of the things that I would certainly point out. And I think that the better organizations in handling change do well. I love that plan. It's it's literally like a, a project plan in a way, but you know, making sure that things are communicated in a way that people understand and you, you literally have to, you know, it, and not to say this is kindergarten skills, but in a way it is it's like, okay, do you understand, you know, say back to me and I've actually done this before. I've actually had people explain back to me what I am expecting of them to make sure that it's on the same page. Cause sometimes they hear something different than what you're actually trying to, you know, deliver because, you know, you, our own biases, our own viewpoints, our own things. Okay, well, how this should look, um, you know. And, and I think by doing that, it helps with that. But also, too, humans tend to revert back to I don't want to call it a rut, but familiar patterns. It's like okay, this is the the drive. This is the way that I commute to work. This is the habits that on how I do my work and all of this stuff. And when there's a change. There's that resistance or like because a lot of people, it's funny, a lot of people fight change, but again, that's the only thing that's constant in life is change. So they don't lean into it. They like, you know, try to hide away from it and, and, you know, pretend it doesn't exist and hope it goes away. And, and in many cases, a lot of organizations, as you said, the management doesn't do a good job of following up. So a lot those organizations, a lot of the people that have worked there and, and you've seen this, I'm sure, you know, think, okay. They're putting in this new change, but they're not going to follow up on any of it. So I'm just going to pretend that I didn't hear it. And they're just going to continue down the path that they did and frustrates all of us in HR. Uh, but they're like, well, if there's no enforcement of this new initiative or this new change, how can we write them up? Because there's no, there's, there's no protocols. There's no clear cut. This is what happens if you don't do this type of thing. And it just makes things really muddied and it just completely confuses people because you've got, and you know this too, you, you've got your team players that will do whatever you ask them to do. They're, they're amazing human beings. They, they do great work for your clients. 
they're great to work with internally. Everything's great. They're they're on board all the time. And you've got your distractors that just no, they're going to fight it tooth and nail no matter what. And sometimes when you push some things through, you end up punishing the good people to try to correct the behavior of the bad people. And then retention issues come into play and you start losing key people. So it's, it's a nonstop saga. Uh, and that's why uh, HR uh, is, in my opinion, one of the most underpaid roles uh, on the planet because you have to deal with humans, both from a leadership standpoint and from your people standpoint, and somehow make it all work. And boy, oh boy, some days it doesn't, uh, no matter what you do. But I, I, I think that's you know great points on everything. So in, in closing, what, where do you see things happening? And I know we've alluded to it a few times and talked about it, you know, what, you know, the next couple of years are going to look like, but you know, what are some common things you think are going to happen in organizations over the next couple of years, especially as we come out of this pandemic and move into this new world of hybrid or back to the office or remote or, you know, whatever flavors people want to use? Yeah, I, I certainly think that that uh, the landscape of, of the workplace is, is now changed and it's not going back. Uh, what that will look like for organizations will vary a little, certainly based on industry and the amount of in-person contact that a, that a particular service or industry requires. But I think that's the big thing is a shift away from, from five-day in-the-office work, a greater reliance on technology, and a shift for organizations and for human resource professionals to have to deal with how do you make sure that you manage performance effectively and maintain culture in an environment that is now increasingly remote. And so the, the over the next two years, I think you're going to see a settling process around that. And I've worked in organizations that in past flat out refused the idea of remote working that have now completely shifted 180 degrees because they realize that they can't afford not to. And I think that that's probably going to be something else is, is that we'll see those organizations that are clinging to a very traditional style of working struggling in their respective industries and perhaps some, some greater consolidation in industries as well. For instance, in, in banking in the credit union world, we see that consolidation with banks swallowing up one another already. And those that aren't nimble and aren't able to adapt to, to remote working are, are going to struggle. I think the other is this war for talent, certainly, and they go hand in hand. But you're going to see greater remote working where an organization in, in New York is going to be very uh, open about the fact that they'll employ people anywhere. And that may not, not even be, you know, the U.S. I worked in an organization prior to, to coming back to the U.S. where I had people in the Philippines, in, in Malaysia, in the Czech Republic that reported into me. And that was just the norm based on the nature of the industry. And I think you're going to see that sort of normalization in other industries as well. So that war for talent is, is going to be a good thing. And it will make sure that organizations have to be creative in how they're attracting and retaining people. And the other is a shift in leadership in, in how leaders are managing as well. Not just using remote technology, but making sure that there is greater empowerment, more autonomy that they're providing their people, and that they're managing primarily by objectives. And so, yes, that might require some more often communication. I think we've, we've probably seen that already, where 
We're erring on the side of greater communication with our people when they are working remotely. And that's not a bad thing because it's increasing the flow of communication and feedback that we're getting from our people as well and having to adapt our leadership to them. So just as you've mentioned, not everyone is a morning person or a nine to five person, and that's going to require leaders to adapt as well and, and perhaps be available more during the daytime too. So that might be a new challenge for leaders in terms of how they balance their own lifestyle also. But a lot of interesting things, I think, coming down the pike as far as, as changes in industry and also changes in leadership that we're going to experience in the next couple of years. That's great. So, I, and I think that it's an exciting time. It's, I, I know for a lot of people, especially employees, there's a lot of anxiety right now because they don't know what, what work is going to look like for them once this is, you know, closer to whatever normal is going to look like. And I think the leadership is basically in the same boat. There, there's some anxiety of, okay, how do we do this? So as long as everybody is open about that and understanding, okay, we're going to, as crazy as it sounds, we're going to design this as we go along because the way that we were working is not the way we're going to work going forward. And I think of organizations and employees are all open to that, knowing that it might be bumpy, uh, but at least at the end of it, it's going to design something that will be beneficial for, for everybody involved. I think a lot of organizations are going to be a lot better off on that. So, William, I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, where can we find out more about you? And obviously, you know, the, the new book that's coming up uh, and everything else that's going on in your life. Yes. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yes. Find out more about me ground website com, but the book itself, which is the leadership core, is out in ebook through Morgan James Publishers in early July, and then the main print release is late October, and it can be ordered through. And Barnes and Noble today. They have them out on their websites now. That's awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So, William, thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate you and, and the awesome work that you do. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. And I uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.